Captain. Our computer is picking up a strange signal. I don't want any baloney, magic tricks, or psychological mumbo jumbo. Errors in time and space. Greetings, Liminards! Broadcasting to you from a location outside of time and space. This is Liminal Unlimited. I'm Kyle Thatcher. I'm Jen Thatcher. And we're back from another fucking break. (laughs) Yay! We're sorry. We're We're middle-aged, we're homeowners, we're parents, and we're freaking tired. And there's a lot of stuff going on. We've had stuff going yes. on. Yes, right now it looks like night of the comet outside with the, the smoke from Canada. Awful. How do you how do you say, fuck off smoke in French? <laughs> <'Cause>... <laughs> uh, Don't you know how to say that, honey? No. Oh, okay. Something fumé. <laughs> yeah, fuck fumé. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? Jennifer. Today we will be discussing pre-flight UFOs. And what do we mean by that? UFOs that were (laughs) pre-flight. So what that means is, so we're talking about, you know, encounters with unidentified objects in the sky that are documented before the birth of flight. So they can't be confused for airplanes or blimps. Or anything like that. So then the question is, what the hell was it? Right, right. And part of this, I mean, we've been talking about this for a little while. Um, I had uh, a co-worker bring it up. Yeah, and, shout out to Bill. And I thought it was interesting. But also, in the news, just this week, there is a new Inside the Government whistleblower. Because... Oh my God, Jenny! You got one job, and that's to mute your phone. And I just did it. Okay. <laughs> I'm still gonna leave it in because this is the no edit episode. I hope you have all your bookmarks ready. They're ready. Yeah. Okay. They're all in there. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, report just came out this week. About a guy named David Charles Grush. I think you pronounce his last name Grush. Never heard of him. Well, there's been all the stuff in the news uh, ever since the Go Fast video leaked of the fighter pilots flying, chasing, tracking UFOs. Um, The most recent, one of the more recent uh, revelations, NASA just recently held a press conference because they've been tasked with also as part of the UFO investigation or UAP if you're a square in the government. Boring. Um, but they specifically pointed out the Mexican uh, government's video. The Mexican military has a video that they released uh, tracking a silver metallic looking orb that was hauling some ass over Mexico. And uh, as far as NASA uh, says they're concerned, they don't know what the heck that is. Hmm. 
They have not been able to identify it or give a cause for it. Um, they're pretty clear it's not a balloon or anything. It's an object, and it's round, and it's silver, and it's moving, and um, they don't know why or how or who made it. But this guy, David Charles Grush, uh, just came out. Uh, he basically uh, uh, put out an open complaint. There apparently is a classified version of his complaint that he filed, and then an unclassified version that was released to uh, the press, to the public. Um, and he was cleared by the Pentagon to release the unclassified version of his complaint. And... Uh, they're calling him a whistleblower. Um, he accuses the intelligence community that he's actually a part of uh, of illegally withholding evidence of extraterrestrial technology to, quote, intentionally thwart legitimate congressional oversight of the UAP program. Mm. Um, now, this David Charles Grush, uh, he is not like a joke. Um, he's got some credentials. He was a combat veteran of Afghanistan. He was a member of the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, the UAP Task Force, uh, which was the government task force uh, operating under the Office of Naval Intelligence. He was the uh, representative to that task force. Uh, he represented the National Reconnaissance Office, um, which is high-end intelligence community. Um his colleagues have described him as beyond reproach. Now, he filed this open complaint uh, claiming that the intelligence community was hiding uh, evidence of, quote, intact and partially intact craft of non-human origin. Um, he's been quoted as stating that these are non-terrestrial in origin or exotic origin, and that is based on the vehicle morphologies and material material science testing. Um, he is claiming that that the intelligence community has evidence of unique atomic arrangements and radiological signatures with these uh, materials and craft that they've recovered. Um, and the materials include intact and partially intact vehicles. Specifically, he says vehicles. Wow. So yeah, this guy, uh, this just came out this past week, and initially, initially, it was passed over by, like, everybody. New York Times, New York Post, nobody wanted to touch it, and then an outfit called The Debrief, they ran with it. Now it's been in New York Magazine, it's starting to <laughs> grow, as people are um, basically coming to understand what this who this guy is what his credentials are and right. that he's making serious accusations uh, against the uh, various intelligence offices saying that hey we were supposed to start you know being uh, transparent and we were supposed to start briefing congress we're, we're supposed to be turning uh, stuff over to the arrow office that's the investigative office that congress established for this to brief congress on the findings from these various uh, intelligence and military uh, branches and offices. And he's saying, we're not giving them everything. We're still trying to keep stuff secret. Hmm. And he's basically saying that 
A, it's wrong. B, it violates what our directive is. Our directive is to cough it up. Right. And we're not doing it. What are they doing? They're hiding it. They're keeping it secret. <laughs> and he's saying that um, I read one uh, part of his statement where he is basically saying that we're still treating this like it's some type of um, like a like a, a, a technology race. Like it's some type of, oh, we got to keep our stuff secret because we want to, you know, um, reverse engineer and we want to do, we want all the secrets. But he's saying that they have all this evidence that the Russians have this stuff, the Chinese have this stuff, that almost every major country has recovered and has possession of materials like the ones that the U.S. has. And he's like, we're still treating this like this is this little, you know, our country's secret issue when this is global. Yeah. Now, because he states that, some people are saying, oh, it's a PSYOP. You know, oh, he's is misinformation, you know, and there's a lot of conspiracy theorists coming out. Um, but this guy is basically arguing for the same thing that, you know, he's not necessarily saying that they're dangerous. Like, I haven't seen anything where he has stated maybe he has and I just didn't read it. But I haven't seen anything in the stuff that I've read that he's stating these are weapons and they're dangerous and they're trying to kill us and we need to militarize and everything. But basically saying... We need to cut the crap, start treating this like what it is, and that's humanity trying to figure out who and what these are about, why they're here, how long have they been here, and what are they doing, you know, because um, a lot of people mock Stephen Greer, but I side with Stephen Greer that if uh, their technology is this advanced, they could have killed us already if that oh, was their yeah. intention we would be totally. dead so what are they doing and this guy's basically saying we need to give congress what we told him we would give them they're cutting out cow anuses that yeah that's what they're doing yeah totally yeah you're right well they are <laughs> somebody is but so back to what we're talking about this is like i thought the perfect lead-in to this subject of pre-flight ufos so now uh honey yes dear when was the airplane invented 18 19 19 oh wait 18 close 19 oh five Four, three. Three. <laughs> Very good, honey. 1903. Yes. The Are air you sure about that? The airplane was invented by the Wright brothers, or at least the first successful flight of an airplane, so they're credited with the invention, hmm. uh, was December 17th, 1903. Now, when was the hot air balloon invented? 2002. <laughs> September 19th, 1783. How did you know that? It's just something I know. And it was invented by? Montgolfier Brothers. The Montgolfier Brothers from France. It was France. The, it was the Frenchies that invented the hot air balloon. Hmm. 
And the first balloon in America wasn't until 10 years later when Jean-Pierre Blanchard came over and brought a balloon with him and flew it in Philadelphia. Now, do you happen to know when the first quote-unquote accepted, I'm doing air quotes with my fingies, the first accepted UFO sighting in the U.S. was supposedly, supposedly happened? And it's not Roswell. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't. That was, so, so we've, we have flight for a while, but the mm-hmm. first accepted UFO sighting is not until June 24th, 1947, when civilian pilot Kenneth Arnold is flying over Washington State and uh, claims to look out his window of his airplane and witnesses nine objects glowing blue-white flying in a V formation. And he tracked them for some distance, um, but he said that they were outpacing him. So, uh, if that's what we say is our first accepted UFO sighting, how could there possibly be sightings from before that? Because it's lies. This is all lies. It's a (laughs) cover-up. So basically what we're saying is anything um, of a certain nature before 1903, anything fast-moving before 1903 when the airplane was invented, that would be... People didn't have a <laughs> that's explanation the official, That's for the official name it. for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People didn't... I mean, maybe they thought it was angels or... I don't know, the end times or a weird floating sheet thing or... Right, the Crawfordsville monster. Yeah, or who knows what, I mean, who knows what they thought it was? Thunderbirds. And if it happened before there were even hot air balloons or blimps and something ship-like or vessel-like was seen in the sky, mm-hmm. what would that be? UFO. Aliens. Right. Some type of unidentified aerial phenomena. UAP. <laughs> it's so much nicer just to say UFO. It is. It, it, it rolls it, off the... Even with the fricative in the middle. <laughs> when I said fricative, did that make you sneeze? <laughs> no, it was building... <laughs> so yeah it just it roll it rolls off the tongue a little better it does so i am about to tell you when the first documented sighting of a ufo was in america can you can you guess when that might have been 1492 well actually mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That would be, I mean, technically, they weren't in America. They were, you know. On their way. They were, like, approaching an island that wasn't America or anything at that time. But Picky, picky. But we talked about that in one episode where Christopher Columbus and his crew on the Santa Maria saw lights, odd lights in the sky over land as they were approaching uh, for their first landfall. Um, But the first quote-unquote documented, sighting in America happened in 1639 
quick math. Uh, how how long was that before the invention of the airplane? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Try two hundred years. Yes, yes. Well, actually, almost three hundred years, right? 1903, 1903. 1634. Yeah, 300. <laughs> so, yes, almost 300 years before the Wright brothers flew their little plane, a guy by the name of John Winthrop. And John Winthrop was no joke. He was the co-founder and governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. So, um, you know, all respect to the Winthrop family that I'm sure is still around up there. He probably killed a lot of Native Americans. <laughs> Um, <laughs> if he was the co-founder, um, Probably. but he recorded, now this was a secondhand account, but he recorded a secondhand account in his diary. Uh, and he said, dear diary, March 1st. He did not say dear diary. <laughs> You're right. He said, oh, dearest diary, <laughs> March 1st, 1639. Killed a lot of Indians today. Then I heard a funny story. <laughs> oh, boy. He, he wrote about a fellow by the name of James Everell, who he described as a sober, discreet man. Basically meaning like, hey, this guy just doesn't tell stories. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently, old Jimmy Everell was rowing up the muddy river at night in Boston with a bunch of guys. I'm not going to question what a bunch of dudes in a rowboat on the muddy river in Boston were doing in the middle of the night, but hey, people do things. Stuff happens. He sees what he describes as a great light in the sky. Uh, the light was stationary, but it would flare brighter at times. Then it moved and when it moved uh james everell said uh now i'm not sure exactly what this means i have to imagine it means like oblong but he says that when it moved it um it looked like his words were the figure of a swine hmm. like a piggy but okay. i th i think pigs are oblong so i think I maybe guess. that's what he's like roundy Portly and oblong. Um, he said it kept moving back and forth between his location on the river and Charlestown, which is the oldest neighborhood in Boston. So he, they're literally seeing it like zip back and forth between these, these two parts of the city. Uh, when the lights finally moved away, uh, James and the other men in the boat with him uh, had found that they had been transported a mile upstream and had no memory of how they got there. Hmm. Missing time. So yeah, literally, they got tooken. Interesting. But apparently no anal probes. That we know of. That we know of. It was 1639. I doubt a sober and discreet man of 1639 yeah. would have been super open about the anal probes in the recti yeah they did an anally in the recti is that how they talk <laughs> <laughs> they did an, an, an analogous in my rectumus 
No. So, what, I mean, what do you what do you think about that, honey? I believe it. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Why did you hear about these stories like, more often? That's pretty well, cool. Well, because, see, I, my theory is that, you know, people think, oh, these are people of, like, an earlier time period. And, you know, uh, it, it's kind of like uh, when Phil Hartman did uh, Caveman Lawyer, <laughs> you know, and he's like, I don't know your modern ways and your strange technologies frighten me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So people kind of write off some of these stories as like, oh, they just, they were just, you know, bar, they were just older barbaric generations who didn't understand things. That's like a classic, you know, UFO encounter story. Yeah. And and you can't say it's just like, oh, they saw ball lightning. They saw ball lightning. (laughs) You know, like Ozzy Osbourne (laughs) on their show. It's ball lightning. You can't say it was just, oh, because you could up to a point say oh well they must have seen some type of weird electrical phenomena or something else mm-hmm. and just didn't understand what it was they didn't have the scientific knowledge how do you explain the anal probes <laughs> well the lost time and oh, right the translocation mm-hmm. that doesn't you know you can't explain that away like swamp it's swamp gas yeah it's swamp gas didn't blast them <laughs> a mile upstream with no memory um, you know, I mean, it'd have to be really bad gas. I mean, <laughs> you've knocked me out a couple of times. <laughs> that's, that's why you call me Mike Tyson. <laughs> <sighs> so I have, um, our next, our next adventure um, our next interesting tale is um, apparently there was a former president of the United States that had um, uh, a secondhand. It was a secondhand story, another secondhand story. But he documented this. He took it seriously. He knew the person that told him the story, and so he took it very seriously. And he actually documented it. Do you know which former president of the United States that would have been? Grover Cleveland. No. No, sorry, honey. I was really hoping it would be him. No. Uh, ben Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. It was Ben Franklin. <laughs> I saw something unexplained once. I saw an unexplained object. I can't tell you what it was, but it was the best unexplained object in the history of UFOs. Anyway. No, it was not Donald Trump. It was Thomas Jefferson. What? Ding, 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 ding. I was going to say him next. Right. And this was a story that was related related to him of a, uh, an event from April 5th of 1800. How many years before? Oh, my God. 103. <laughs> Four? What, what year was it? <laughs> 1903. Okay. Yes, 103 years before the first airplane flight. So, Jefferson, um, he was vice president at the time, um, but he was the president of the American Philosophical Society. And so he was, he he wrote down many of their, you know, um, their like logs, you know, their little 
well, I don't know what they write, but whatever their writings were, he wrote them. <laughs> Philosophical treatises. I don't know. In the, but I do know in the sixth <laughs> volume of Transactions of the American Philosophical Society. That sounds thrilling. I'm sure that's a great read. <laughs> I'm I'm volume. I'm guessing this probably stands out <laughs> from whatever else is in these. Mm-hmm. So he records the story told to him by his good friend William Dunbar. Um, William Dunbar was a native of Scotland, and he was a plantation owner in Natchez, Mississippi. Ooh. Yeah, a Scottish plantation owner just seems odd because he's doing these horrible things to people and then he's got this quaint, lovely Scottish (laughs) accent, Yeah, you know? Yeah, that's not cool. It's like, you better get out there in the field and pick that cotton. Come on now. Don't you want to? Yeah, that's not right. I think it's more like Scrooge McDuck on a lot of cocaine. Mm, It's got to be like, (laughs) I want me money. (laughs) (laughs) go make me me money (laughs) but anyway apparently thomas jefferson found something uh something fun about mr dunbar so apparently while in baton rouge louisiana dunbar saw an object move It, it flew overhead it moved southwest to northeast in the space of 15 seconds and by his estimation, it was approximately 200 yards above the heads of him and, and a few other people that observed it. Uh, Dunbar estimated it to be uh, about 70 to 80 feet long, the size of a large house, wholly luminous, he said, but it did not em- emit any sparks. And, he, and so I take that to mean that it didn't have a tail. It wasn't emitting things off of it, but it, it glowed brightly. Um, he, they described it as a crimson red in color, but bright like the sun. So you could see the, the color red, but it was super bright. And Dunbar could actually feel the heat coming off of it as it flew over, but he described no, um, electric sensation apparently you know basically i think to to discount ball lightning he's like well no there was, i didn't feel any electricity but i felt the heat from it um as it disappeared from sight a rushing noise was heard and then a crash which shook the earth where they stood uh dunbar said he and his companions went to the crash site found a burn scorched area and broken earth, yet could not find any object that would have caused it. So this giant thing flies overhead, giving off heat, bright crimson red, no sparks, and crashes, and yet there's nothing there when they get there. Yeah, so it sounds like it could be a meteor or something, but where is it then? And it wasn't giving off any sparks, so... Yeah, you would you would expect, expect that. I mean, he's describing it as, like, 80 feet That'd long. That would be like a giant, gigantic, 
gigantic meteor. Yeah. Yeah, it's not Something like thing would be there. Yeah, it's not like one of these crashed. little these little meteorites mm-hmm. that that like you know land in somebody's backyard or something, and it, it makes like a big hole. But then you find this tiny little yeah. thing at the center. It's the size of a house. It was the size of a large house, hmm. and it's it's glowing, red hot. He can feel the heat. And then it crashes, but there's nothing left. There's completely just nothing left of the thing. They find the scorched trees and and everything and some torn up earth, but nothing. So it was odd enough that Thomas Jefferson recorded it in the Transactions of the American Philosophical Society, sixth volume. Did they all have anything philosophical to say about it? Not Did that they it, use their brains to come up with some theories here? Not that I saw, but I believe Thomas Jefferson was quoted as saying, that's fucking weird. <laughs> that tracks. And then William Dunbar was like, come with me and see me money! <laughs> <laughs> we can swim in it. <laughs> So, <laughs> Duck tears. all right, all right. I love that show. So, so so far, what do you what are you thinking of these these uh, tales, these stories? They're pretty groovy. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't you can't say that William Dunbar mistook a balloon. Uh, no. Or. A, a plane, obviously, it's too too soon for planes. Did they even have balloons back then? Weren't you listening at all to the beginning of this episode? I'm not like not like hot air balloons or blimps. I mean, like balloons. When were balloons? What do you invented? mean, like little little kid balloons? <laughs> yeah, they're like you know. I think it. I think it was a Frenchman who was like, "I bet I can make this smaller." <laughs> <laughs> he looked at a hot air balloon and he's like, "What if it was tiny?" <laughs> Little children can play with them. Yes. Yes, I like this idea very much. <laughs> anyway. I make it mon petit. <laughs> mon petit. I don't know. <laughs> Not everybody has a balloon. Ballon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the... Yeah, I mean, that it sounded huge. Like... It's a huge object in the sky. What could you possibly mistake that for? I know, I know. And then and then if you think about the, you know, like we said, the object from 1634 or whatever it was, how, you know, how could they possibly, you know, there, there wouldn't have been anything, nothing. There wouldn't be balloons, mm-hmm. you know, for them to have misidentified something. Um, what if we combine them and it's a house-sized glowing red pig flying over what it what it is and I think that <laughs> David Charles Grush would agree these are space pigs space pigs pigs giant, giant house-sized space pigs that would be terrifying falling to the earth pigs are very intelligent and when they hit they burst into other little piggies. 
And so all the pigs are aliens. This makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's octopuses that are alien, but it's pigs. It's pigs. That's that's why they that's that's why they taste like us. <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> you hear things. Mm. Guy you know, strange people in Borneo. <laughs> Okay. Papua New Guinea. Um, but no, uh, it's 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 off the wall. It is. Now um, we're gonna we're going through all the historical stuff first. So we might take a break after this next one before we get into uh, our fourth historical tale. Um, we'll take a break and and you know you can talk about maybe some things that you've discovered or found stories. Oh, I I get to talk when we're on a break. Not a a break from the history. What I'm going to talk about isn't history? I, if I know your sources, it's probably very (laughs) speculative. Wikipedia (laughs) has a lot of good information. Well, now, I'm going to talk about Nuremberg, so you didn't look up Nuremberg, did you? No, baby, I'm going way back. Okay. We're going, we're going to go back in time. <laughs> oh, jeez. Talking ancient aliens. Oh, boy. I'm sitting across from Giorgio. <laughs> I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. So, our next tale comes from Nuremberg. Our friends in Germany. And uh, this happened, uh, according to the sources, this happened on April 14th of 1561. Yeah, How many years is that? I was not told that there was going to be math involved. You tell me how many years it is. Uh, that would probably be... Probably. No, I want exact figures that, now. That would probably chop, chop. be just a little over 300 years. <laughs> 1903. Yeah. Minus 1561. <laughs> I can't. I'm too okay. tired. <laughs> so anyway. Um, and uh, apparently this happened at daybreak. Four, between 4 to 5 a.m. Uh, witnesses in in Nuremberg, in the city of Nuremberg, uh, reported that at that during that time, to, what they observed was, and this was multiple. This was people. This, this was the townspeople of the city, not just like one dude hung over in the gutter. <laughs> multiple people, numerous people, say they saw. The first thing they saw was two. What they described as two blood-red semicircular objects, um, crescent-shaped, appearing out of the sun, seemingly out of the sun. Hmm. And then, as they appeared, right after they moved out of the sun into view, a black ball appeared from the sun as well. Now... I don't want to read too much into it, but, you know, they talk about, like, fighter pilots and, and, and other uh, people. They they use the sun as cover. 
if you're trying to hide from your enemy, you fly mm-hmm. into the path between your enemy and the sun. So when he's looking around, he can't see you for from all the bright light. So, right. but these things, so these things appear out of the sun, out of the sunlight, as it were. Then other balls appeared, some arranged in lines of three, or square formations of four, <clears throat> connected together with rods. The objects flew back and forth, and it appeared to the residents of Nuremberg like as if they were fighting with each other. They're like moving past each other and doing all these strange maneuvers, these weird objects of made up of balls and rods, bright shining balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, there were balls. <laughs> Using rods. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, my, my rod flew at your balls. Hey. <laughs> anyway, um, we're, we we are children. We are total. We are professionals. Yeah, we are professional professionals. I am cardinal. <laughs> So, yeah, the objects flew back and forth, appearing like they were fighting with each other. And after this display, many of them began to fall from the sky, looking like they were burning. And when they hit the ground, they burned up completely, giving off what they what the people described as immense smoke um, until they were like completely consumed, like there was nothing left of them. Um, Then... As this is happening, they're watching these objects fly around each other, looking like they're antagonizing and fighting each other. They start falling from the sky, crashing to the ground, bursting into smoke and, and, and everything. And at that point, a and this was the description that was given, a, quote, black spear, very long and thick, appeared. <laughs> They said the shaft was pointed towards the east. <laughs> oh my god, honey. I'm sorry. <laughs> and the point of the spear was pointed towards the west. Now, uh, to me, and to other people who read that description, it sounds... Uh, similar to a couple of things. Uh, first are the black triangles that are seen, um, mm-hmm. which, which if you're a resident of Nuremberg in 1561, maybe you might have said arrowhead if it was a triangular shape or something like that, but they're comparing it to like the first kind of thing that comes to their, their mind. Um, but it sounds a bit like a black triangle. And some people point out the fact that it actually it sounds kind of like a Star Destroyer from Star Wars. You know, mm-hmm. they have that spear-like, that long, pointed uh, front end, triangular front end, and then, like, kind of a spear haft sticking out the back. Um, but the, it it appears, it all of a sudden, as, as these things are falling from the sky and burning up, this uh, large black spear or triangle shape appears, um, and then everything stops. 
everything disappears, and then it disappears as abruptly as it arrived. Um, as if it was like this thing showing up going, hey, stop fucking around, and then everything just vanished. Hmm. And it was over. That's weird. So the people of Nuremberg at the time, uh, of course, believed that these were signs from God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I mean, it's con- it's contextual. That's the time period. This that's their that's their frame of reference, and their understanding. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're stupid. It doesn't mean that they're infants. It doesn't mean that they just imagined this, or or anything. And but it's allowed later researchers to to discount these sightings. Hmm. Um, they say they're either fabricated, imagined, a case of mass hysteria, or some misidentified natural phenomena, because apparently there's like a there's a certain type of phenomena that can happen when s- conditions are just right where you get, uh, there's a, a name for it, but you basically get what they call like false suns where you have the sun in the center and then like a like two or maybe four sometimes what appear to be smaller lights might appear around the sun and you might get crescent shapes as the light bends, but it's like this natural effect of light and environment and conditions. But that phenomena doesn't have rods connecting the lights. It doesn't have a giant black ball involved. It doesn't have a giant black spear shape show up. No giant black shafts and balls. No, honey. (laughs) And, And nothing falls smoking from the sky. Right. When that happens. Um, so the idea that like, oh, they're just misidentifying this weird light thing that happens around the sun. Oh, they're so quaint. Um, I don't I don't buy it. I don't either. But it sounds like a description um, based upon the context of what they understand. It sounds like a, a description of what people report seeing today. Uh, cigar shapes or rods orbs uh black triangles that all these things appeared in the sky over nuremberg in 1561 and that there was this like crazy uh at at the very least a light show but to their to their specific conception it looked like they were fighting because then then smoking objects were falling out of the sky during it i wonder why they would be fighting why would they come here? Ideally, I mean, presumably they're all on the same team if they're in the same sort of crafts. And then why do they start fighting with each other? Well, I mean, I you know, it's a presumption that they're all on the same team. You well, know? But I also don't want to get into the, you know, all the conspiracy type stuff of, you know, oh, there's like a galactic federation <laughs> and, you know, you got the reptilians. You know, they're like the bad guys. And then the Bigfoots are the good guys. They're like Chewbacca's. You know. I'm saying they're all the same type of craft. True. You'd you'd think they were of similar origin. Right. You know. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So how does that float your boat? Crazy. Yeah. Maybe it is a sign from God. He used to do that. He doesn't really do that anymore. Well, maybe because we were like, you know, every time uh, somebody said like, oh, I got this sign from God, at some point, 
every time a guy said that, some other guy showed up and goes, aren't you uh, maybe just uh, misidentifying um, <laughs> some uh, sunspots or something? True. You know, I think uh, I think you maybe need to rethink your education. And then they were burnt at the stake. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, those are the three most interesting and um, really old uh, stories that, that I found in my research. Um, they all take place, uh, except for uh, William Dunbar, the Thomas Jefferson uh, story, um, two of them take place before there were hot anything like hot air balloons. And then uh, the Jefferson story takes place. Um, there were hot air balloons... But they would not have done what uh, William Dunbar describes doing. And, uh, you know, like we said, we don't, you know, the idea that it's a misidentified meteor or something uh, seems outlandish. Because even at that time, even in 1800, they had begun to understand what meteors were. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like, it's not like they were like complete idiots. You know, there yeah. there was science. Science was catching on. That is true. You know, <laughs> yeah. so all right, honey. So what uh, what fantastic tales of the strange and unusual do you have concerning pre-flight UFOs? Well, excuse me while I whip this out. <laughs> So you think those are old. Well, how do you like 1450 B.C.? How do you like this sack of marbles? (laughs) 1450? How many years before the birth (laughs) of flight is that? How many years before the airplane is 1450 B.C.? Hot shot. That's uh, probably... I don't care. (laughs) So, (laughs) this is from this website called Wikipedia. (laughs) <laughs> never heard of it but it's a list of notable reported sightings of ufos arranged by date that's pretty cool <laughs> so uh, so this one so this um was okay so this is 1450 bc after conquering the ancient nubian city of napata thutmose the third had a stele erected at the temple of Amun beneath the cobra-shaped Jebel Barkle outcropping. He had a what erected? A stele, which is a stone or wooden slab, generally taller than it is wide, erected in the ancient world as a monument. Gotcha. The stele describes how, quote, a star came down, unquote, to set fire to Thutmose's adversaries. The incident has been cited by many ufologists via the purported Thule papyrus, Considered a likely fraud by Edward Condon. The alleged translation of the papyrus, published in issue 41 of the Fortean Society's magazine Doubt, included such Fortean phenomena as circles of fire and fish that fell down from the sky. Fish. Fish. It's rain and fish. It's rain and fish. (laughs) So, uh, 218 B.C., Ships in the Sky, recorded by Livy, a.k.a. Titus Livius, who was a Roman historian. Uh, During the build-up to the Second Punic War, 
Livy recorded prodigies in the winter sky, including Navium Specium de Calo ad Fulcis. Or... Uh, what was that? <laughs> Navium spe- Specium de... I don't know. Calo ad Fulcis. <laughs> Which translates to phantom ships had been seen gleaming in the sky. Oh. So the flying Dutchman them as ships gleaming in the sky, and that was in Rome. Well, and gleaming, Italia. gleaming infers what? Glowing, bright, or reflective. Could be. You know. So what would you know? What I mean? They they weren't building uh, steel or aluminum vessels at that time. Mm-hmm. You know. So what would make them be reflective or shining? Yeah. Uh, 76 BC, according to Pliny the Elder, a spark fell from a star and grew as it descended until it appeared to be the size of the moon. It then ascended back up to the heavens and was transformed into a torch. Astronomer Richard Stuthers interpreted the report as a description of a bolide, which is an exceptionally bright meteor. But why would but it go I back? Don't buy it. Why would it go back up? Yeah. It doesn't do that. It don't do that. Eat it, Stuthers. Hey, Stuthers. It don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Meteors don't go back up. They don't go back up. They just come down. They come down, they stay down. This one went back up. It don't do that. (laughs) Forget about it. It Fucking Stuthers. (laughs) Fucking Stuthers. Hey, put your nose back in a book, Stuthers. Um, and that was, so it says Roman Republic Asia, so somewhere around there. Uh, 7 BC, uh, the Roman Republic Phrygia? Phrygia. Phrygia. According to Plutarch, a Roman army commanded by Lucullus was about to begin a battle with Mithridates. <laughs> what is with these names? Mithridates the sixth of Pontus. I think it's Mithridates. Mithridates. When the sky burst asunder and a huge flame-like body was seen to fall between the two armies. Plutarch reports the shape of the object as like a wine jar. Giant wine jar. There you go. Uh, Okay, now we are A.D. Anno Domini. Boring. (laughs) Uh, In Judea, Romano-Jewish historian Flavius Josephus reported chariots hurtling through the clouds prior to the first Jewish-Roman War. Um, In AD 196, there's a report of angel hair, which we discussed. That's right, during Sky Beasts. During Sky Beasts. That uh, they they drop it like... uh, it's like the G's. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, if you, if, to get that <laughs> reference, you have to go back and listen to our Sky Beasts episode. Uh, I mean, you don't have to, but... But it's like the G's. The G's <laughs> that come down. There's more of that. And it so. falls over everything. <laughs> I eat the G's. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so. so this was in Rome, in Italia. <laughs> yeah. Historian Cassius Dio described a fine rain resembling silver descended from a clear sky upon the Forum of Augustus. 
He used some of the material to plate some of his bronze coins, but by the fourth day, that's the guy that we talked the about. Silvery coating was gone. That's the guy that that's we talked the about. Guy. Yeah, he, he, yeah, like, yeah, I put, I put the jizz on my money. <laughs> <laughs> and then 740, the airship of Clonmacnoise in what? Ireland. <laughs> what? What is this? Clonmacnoise. Clon <laughs> that's what it says. In County Offaly, several sets of Irish annals, those of Ulster, Tigernock, Clonmacnoise, and the Four Masters, all have entries to the effect that ships with their crews were seen in the air. Um, so, yeah, it's related in numerous medieval sources. Um, an apparition of ships with their crews in the sky over Ireland. Later accounts through the Middle Ages progressively expanded on this with picturesque details. Um, first, the ships were reduced to one ship over Telltown, from which a crewman threw and then recovered a fishing spear. Then it changed to Clonmacnoise and later to Britain. Um, the story was retold by Seamus Heaney in a well-known well-known poem collected in his 1991 volume seeing things so that's interesting you don't hear a lot of irish yeah and, uh, encounters. To, and to be reasonable to be reasonable although we believe in the that the the possibility if not the certainty that there are ufo phenomena uh happening um when you do get reports like that where it's like they witnessed, you know, floating, flying ships and things like that, that's like um, that uh, thing that happened in China where people saw like the city in the sky and everything. There is a phenomena, a real phenomena called Fata Morgana, and that's where there are environmental factors that cause basically a... A mirage effect but that uh, it puts the mirage up in the atmosphere and so you're seeing you're basically seeing oh, something right. that you can't see over the horizon mm -hmm. but the atmosphere is like sort of like broadcasting it like an image right up into, in, the, up into the sky and that's why they boats. kind of look they kind of look faded and wavy mm -hmm. and things like that. And so, yes, there, there are reports that guys like saw these ships in the sky having battles with cannons and stuff like that. And at the same time, they were seeing that, thinking it was like this strange sky occurrence. Miles and miles away, there was an actual ship battle happening in mm -hmm. that direction that, you know, they say it appears they were witnessing a Fata Morgana. Right. But yeah, here, let me go turn my phone down because I forgot I had yeah, my ringers that, up. Was that your phone making it, a noise there, dear? It was. Well, I'll just continue on. <clears throat> so it skips ahead then to the 1561 Nuremberg story. Um, 1566, there was an incident over uh, Basel, Switzerland. A broadsheet published in 1566 depicted numerous spherical objects appearing out of the sun, which is similar to that other story. The event was recorded and depicted by Samuel Cotius, a student of the Holy Scripture and of the free arts. Was that in Basel or Basel? Basel, Basel. Basel. Bas Basel? 
I love movies with Basil Rathbone. It's B A S E L. Oh, Basel. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> All right. Pronounce this one. Wait, where is it? Gwangagun. <laughs> what? Gwangagun. <laughs> okay, you're doing your Scottish accent now, and this is in Korea. Gangwon Province. Gwangagun. Gwangagun. On September 22nd, 1609, multiple witnesses reported seeing UFOs in Gosyong, Wonju, Ganyang, and a few other um, counties in Korea that. I'm not going to try and pronounce. They described a halo or wash bowl that was divided in two. Um, in Japan, Hitachi province, in 1803, local fishermen reportedly found a closed vessel with small windows adrift. They said when they investigated it that a beautiful young woman with red and white hair and dressed in strange clothes emerged, holding a square box that no one was allowed to touch, and that she spoke to them in a language they had never heard before. Interesting. It is. I mean, I guess technically that wasn't... They didn't see it flying. It was a drift. So, I don't know. It might not be a UFO. Possibly not. Um, <clears throat> what else do we hear? So, 1883... So this is post balloons, right? But pre airplanes. Post balloons. Post balloons. <laughs> <laughs> this is in uh, Mexico, Zacatecas Observatory. Zacatecas. Zacatecas. On August twelfth, eighteen eighty-three, the astronomer Jose Bonilla counted over four hundred dark, unidentified objects. Oh, is this what you were talking about? No. No. Unidentified objects crossing the sun while observing sunspot activity at Zacatecas Observatory in Mexico. He was able to take photographs exposing wet plates at one one-hundredth of a second. He published an account of the event three years later in L'Astronomie, a French astronomy journal. Zacatecas. Zacatecas. Um, 1896, newspapers across California and later other states printed reports of strange airships. Now, now you're getting into my last story. This is my last story, the Aurora incident. Okay, skip that. <laughs> no, 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 Yeah, no. yeah, it leads it because the is, first sighting was in Sacramento. Did, did, yes. Okay. Well, that's eighteen ninety-seven. Yes, eighteen April seventeenth, eighteen ninety-seven. Yeah, this is eighteen ninety-six. Yeah, that's when they started. Common I'm, elements. I'm literally of going the to tell you this whole story. Included. Okay, I'll skip those then. <laughs> All right. Now, 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 just hang on a second here. Okay. Just hang on a second here. <laughs> and listen to this. Listen to this shit. <laughs> Ezekiel 1, verses 4 through 28. This isn't that kind of podcast to me. <laughs> this is from the Bible. I looked, and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. 
Under their wings on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. They each had two wings spreading out upward, each wing touching that of the creature on either side, and each had two other wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright, and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. Um... Man, this goes on and on, doesn't it? As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four looked alike, each appearing to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. Weird. When the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved, and when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. When the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, you guessed it, the wheels rose along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels, as I already said. <laughs> Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked something like a vault, sparkling like crystal and awesome. Awesome! Under the vault, their wings were stretched out, one toward the other, and each had two wings covering its body. You already said that, too. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. Then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli, and high above the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that, from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. And then he says, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. So, but lots of people have kind of thought, that sounds a little UFO-y. Well, yeah, I mean, he's speaking, he's speaking about uh, what in his conception are angelic manifestations. He's seeing them as angels Mm -hmm. um, or a representation uh of the lord or something like that but it sounds like he's describing a vehicle Mm -hmm. he's describing a vehicle of some kind and when he talks about the figures um it he's describing them with wings and legs and hands and you might say maybe he's describing um if they're not angels maybe they are uh alien beings or something like that but also you have to account for the fact that he may be seeing structures on an object that his only context of reference are in 
human shapes and wing shapes and you know the when he talks about the heads what the heads are shaped like and all this kind of stuff it it may be structures that to him appear sort of like those objects and that's the best way he can describe it because you know he talks about them having uh, feet of cloven feet of bronze mm-hmm. you know and, and if you're thinking like well he's describing angels well the only cloven feet we ever hear about are from demons and stuff like that so if he's describing them that way cloven feet of bronze that to me sounds like he's describing a structure that he doesn't understand the shape he he's his brain is not he's seeing this great awesome amazing thing and his brain isn't processing you know the real thing he's there's nothing like this that he's ever seen in his entire life you know so these wheels he's describing them as wheels and that they have eyes all around them but who's to say that that structure actually was a wheel of any kind mm-hmm. and that the eyes were actually eyes you know what i mean right. it, it could be something that just to his context looks like a wheel and looks like an eye you know, um, and so he's trying to describe this to other people who have the same frame of reference as he does. Um, but yeah, it sounds like he's describing a, a vehicle, a vessel of some kind, you know. Totally. And um, yeah, I mean, there's there's numerous examples of, of that, you know, throughout um, history. People telling tales of, you know, for the the... Uh, people in for the <laughs> there's Lucy for the people in India, you know, they described great sky battles of their gods, you know, mm-hmm. their gods and their their various emissaries having these great sky battles where they were literally uh, shooting fountains of fire at one another, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're just, they're telling they're telling what they see but they're having to tell it from an ancient frame of reference that, that doesn't know about anything technological to that extent. Right. You know? I'm not sure when... Or he was high on shrooms. Well. <laughs> I mean, we don't know. I don't know when... You know, the book of Ezekiel is supposed to be taking place. Uh... The book of, uh, itself indicates the prophecies of Ezekiel occurred from around 593 to 571 BCE. Some scholars who are in a minority have argued the book was written during widely divergent periods, such as in the 7th century and even as late as the 2nd century BCE. So, I mean, a long time ago. Yeah. Still, yeah. whatever. And I will say, is. and I know, I know this is a stretch, but we brought up the Crawfordsville monster uh, before, which was also in our Sky Beast episode, and that was described as looking like a uh, an oval-shaped, undulating uh, what they what they said you know almost looked like a a sheet hanging on a clothesline, the way it like a sheet flapping in the wind, the way it was undulating, mm-hmm. and it had this central red circular eye shape. And uh, it had the central red circular eye shape, and but was the periphery of it appeared like just numerous wings mm-hmm. around the outside of this 
you know, oval-shaped form. And the funny part is, what Ezekiel describes this sound, this whispering, is the same type of sound that the two ice men that first reported the Crawfordsville monster, that's a similar sound that they said the Crawfordsville monster made. Is this it was a whispering that rose at times to like a cry of agony and then would go back to this whispering again. And I think that's super interesting that, you know, there's a few descriptors in there that Ezekiel's vision and the Crawfordsville monster share the wings, the Mm -hmm. whispering, uh, the kind of strange movements, you know, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really, really odd, yeah. you know, and be, and because, you know, I feel that like the Crawfordsville monster, um, you know, we describe it like, oh, it's like a cryptidy type. Oh, it's a sky. We, we, you know, used it in our sky beast episode, but I mean, it could fit right in there with, you know, UAP, UFO type stuff. Um, who's to say what it is, you know? Yeah. So I think that's like super interesting. Totes. Totes, my goats. Totes, my goats. I have a few more. Do you want me to keep going or do you want to tell your little story first? <laughs> well, why don't you tell one more? One more. <laughs> Try one more. Then we'll talk about the Aurora incident. And then we, if we have time, we can. Oh, you have, if we have time, you'll try and fit me in. <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> You mean that's what he said? Maybe. Anyway, so this, so HowStuffWorks.com has a nice article here with UFO history by the editors of Publications International Limited. Um, so they have some pretty interesting stories. And here's one. In a 9th century Latin manuscript, Liber Contra Insulam Vulgi Opinionum. I'm sorry, what was that? The Archbishop of Lyon <laughs> complained about the French peasantry's insistent belief in a certain region called Magonia, from whence come Totes sh- Magonia. <laughs> from whence come ships in the clouds. <laughs> the occupants of these vessels, quote, carry back to that region those fruits of the earth which are destroyed by hail and tempests, the sailors paying rewards to the storm wizards and themselves receiving corn and other produce, unquote. The archbishop said he had even witnessed the stoning to death of three men and a woman who said they had fallen from these same ships. Jacob Grimm, a 19th century folklorist, speculated, Magonia takes us to some region where Latin was spoken, if we may rely on it, referring to magus, i.e. a magic land. So, there was like a, like a whole group of people that, you know, uh, believed in these, this region where these ships came from the clouds and brought produce. Storm wizards. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Actually, it sounds like the plot is Zardoz. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. If anybody hasn't seen Zardoz, um, I believe I have a copy of it somewhere that I'm trying to offload. <laughs> it's officially the worst Sean Connery film ever made. But anyway. One more. 
One more, okay. Just before sunset on April 16th, 1651, two women in rural England supposedly witnessed a battle between armies. At the conclusion of the battle, there appeared, according to a contemporary account, blue angels about the bigness of a capon, having faces, as they thought, like owls. Neither wars nor angels in the sky were uncommon sights from Roman times to the early modern era. In AD 793, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle reported fiery dragons flying in the air. And almost a thousand years later, in 1762, a twisting serpent supposedly cavorted over Devonshire. But, uh, yeah, faces of owls a lot of times. When people have weird encounters or see, you know, objects, they also see, like, owls or... Yeah, some... some... Various sizes, some, like, giant owls and... People think maybe that's like the gray alien with the big eyes and the big head. Yeah, but some, owls are definitely associated with UFOs. Yeah, some some people believe that it's possibly like an implanted mm-hmm. image. Yeah, you didn't see an alien. You just saw a really big freaking owl. Yeah, for some reason the grays seem to believe that uh, a giant man-sized or child-sized owl... Totally normal. ...is more normal... <laughs> than seeing them Mm -hmm. um which i mean kind of tracks they probably don't understand why that would be disconcerting to us Mm -hmm. because they're like well you got these (laughs) we these are everywhere we see these everywhere (laughs) yeah we're yeah we're one of those yeah (laughs) it's this child size this like four foot tall owl (laughs) running down the road (laughs) so all right, are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready, Freddie? So this is uh, the last uh, historical story that I have for the the show. Uh, it's the Aurora Incident, it's known as. What? Hmm? Anyway. Uh, so now this happened, the Aurora Incident happened on April 17th, 1897. However, the full story starts earlier in 1896 because in 1896 and 1897 there began to be sightings of a silver cigar-shaped what people called airship in the skies over the u.s Um, now uh i'll start off because right away people are going to be like well this sounds like a blimp or a zeppelin or something like that I'm going to get to why I don't necessarily believe that that's what this is. Um, But let me get through the history, the backstory first. It was first seen in Sacramento, California. Witnesses reported seeing a bright light in the sky about a thousand feet up. And then above that light was the outline of what looked like an airship. Ten days later, a man in Lodi, California, claimed to meet three alien beings who tried and failed to abduct him and then fled in a cigar-shaped airship. So this guy, sa- this guy says they, they piled out, tried to grab him, and when... He- dead weight, dead weight. Well, and if you, this part's kind of humorous because you have to imagine like three gray aliens, right? Three gray aliens run up on this dude, and he handily <laughs> fights them off. 
because you got to, there are these little like <laughs> stick figure, almost <laughs> giant headed little dudes. And they try to manhandle this guy back into their ship. And he's just like, boom, boom. <laughs> like, yeah, kicks, kicks one into the, into the next yard, you know? <laughs> and then when they're fine. what noise they make when they get kicked. <laughs> when, when, when they, when they finally figure out that even through having like numbers, like even having three of them isn't going to take down this fully grown human male. Uh, they're like, cheese it boys. Let's go find a cow. And they skedaddle back into their ship and, and take off again. I just thought that was, that was the funniest part of this whole story. Um, so these two incidents spark reports of others. Uh, residents of Omaha, Nebraska claimed to see uh, this airship three times uh, between February and March of 1897. During one sighting, witnesses reported seeing a strange fireball, but not the ship itself. Um, in Clinton, Iowa, eyewitnesses saw a bright light precede the ship, just like in Sacramento. Um, many other sightings were reported, um, but a lot of them are discounted because the airship story had kind of gotten out nationally. And so they thought that, you know, because there was like one in Michigan where they said, oh, we saw it crash and all this kind of stuff. And um, they just started to pop up everywhere. It was it was starting to become, it was just starting to become like one of those things where like, you know, yeah, me and my friend Billy saw an airship. Want to hear about it? You know, and all, all that kind of stuff. Um but uh, many of the reports that I just outlined were kind of considered like the the more credible initial reports before it became a huge story and everybody knew about it. Now, uh, then we get to uh, April, April of 1897. Uh, there's a sighting in Galveston, Texas uh, in April and it, the the ship the vessel is described as cigar shaped fat in the middle and small at both ends um very much like you would think of a zeppelin but it had I thought you were going to say very much like you as in me <laughs> honey small on the ends and you, fat in the middle you you need to form a better opinion of yourself <laughs> um but so quote it had great wings resembling those of an enormous butterfly hmm. um, on, on the sides of the ship, and, which was not described That's weird. before. And was, quote, brilliantly illuminated by the rays of two great searchlights, was the description. Um, one witness said... One witness said that they saw it moving at the speed of the wind, but a train conductor and his brakeman witnessed it and said that its speed when they saw it was beyond that of a railroad train. Hmm. Um, and they also described the same searchlights on it. So now, now we get to Aurora, Texas. So this is where it gets kind of interesting. This is uh, The information comes from the Dallas Morning News. At 6 a.m. on April 17th, 
the craft suddenly appeared, suddenly appeared over the town. It was, was much closer to the ground than in previous reports from around the country and seemed to be having some kind of quote-unquote mechanical trouble. It then collided with the tower of Judge Proctor's windmill and exploded. Responders to the crash found a single occupant dead at the site. People said that the pilot, quote, was not an inhabitant of this world, unquote. The townsfolk, um, and, and this is kind of maybe the most wholesome part of this whole thing, is they, they claim that this thing exploded, it took out the windmill, and they found this body. And the, the people of uh, Aurora are so uh, wholesome that uh, they, they don't like call the press and take pictures with it and hold it up. Uh, they literally had a funeral for this being um, and gave it a Christian burial in an unmarked grave in the Aurora Cemetery. Unmarked. Unmarked. They, Bullshit. As if they were not trying to make it a spectacle. Well, I wish they had. <laughs> I want to go see it. So most, many people today say that this is like a legend that the town... Uh, created uh, to to jump on the bandwagon of these airship sightings, um, you know. Uh, but there there are people that that uh, say that this was totally real. That it, you know, for the most part, the the sighting over Galveston fits in with uh, the previous sightings, and that um, there's that there isn't any reason to believe that. The same thing possibly happened in Aurora, but it makes it interesting that you know they they're claiming that it crashed, crashed into uh, and took out this judge's windmill on his property, and um, so I thought that was uh, that was pretty neat. Now, um, to sort of answer uh, people who right away like me when I first started reading about the Aurora incident and the sightings that came before it, right away I thought this thing's a Zeppelin. Mm -hmm. Somebody is having a good time flying a Zeppelin around the U.S. and um, and that, that people are just seeing it and they're thinking it's something else and thinking it's something weird or out of this world. It's 1897, you know, it's almost the turn of the century. And um, yeah, the, I, I thought there's got to be an explanation for this. But when I looked into it, now this is specifically, this isn't a hot air balloon. This is specifically in the shape of the Zeppelin, you know, mm -hmm. the, the literally the airship that was invented by the guy named Zeppelin. Mm -hmm. um, well, Zeppelins weren't in use in the U.S. So this happened in 1896 through 1897. Zeppelins weren't in use in the U.S. until 1899. Ooh. And that's because they weren't even being mass-produced in Germany until 1898. Hmm. So this would have happened two years, these sightings would have started, before Zeppelins were even a thing. They mm -hmm. it, Like, there couldn't have been one here. Right. 
Not only that, but in uh, at least two of the sightings, they described these massive searchlight-type lights that were illuminating the ship. Well, if you're flying this ship, and, and you're, and I mean, these lights would have had to be bright. They're not like, um, you know, some kind of gas uh, flame, you know, reflected. These would have had to be bright. So, you know, you're, they're seeing this ship at night illuminated, these big searchlight. And that's probably in Sacramento when they said they saw a great light in the sky mm-hmm. and then the ship appeared above it. Well, they saw this, the lights on it first and then could make out the ship eventually. Well, they would have needed batteries or something to do that. But the first battery-powered lights weren't being... And the first battery-powered lights were like flashlights, handheld flashlights. Those weren't being used until 1899. So the idea that this ship was flying around with these giant like electric searchlights... It couldn't have. They didn't have those the right. year these were being seen. Hmm. So that leaves the what is it? Aliens. <laughs> Duh. Well, I, I mean, yeah. yeah. What else would it be? You know, because that's the thing. Like, it's so easy to write it off. It's so easy to write it off and say, oh, that's got to be a Zeppelin. And those are at, those are searchlights, just like people are describing, you know, or something like that. And but the problem is the technology wasn't there when these were being seen. Right. You know, when they were being seen over Sacramento and Omaha and, all, and these other places um, and in, in Texas, um, so if the technology wasn't there and available at that, at, at that, you know, it's, it's close, it's close, but it, it, it's a stretch to say that, oh, well, that was some guy that was like, you know, on the edge of inventing it, you know, that would be like a, th- you would announce that right yeah. you would come out and say like, Hey, I've invented this new thing and I'm going to fly it around the country and show people how wonderful and safe it is and all this other kind of stuff. You wouldn't like just secretly fly it. Uh, and if you believe the one guy's story, land in Lodi, pretend you're a bunch of weirdo creatures or something <laughs> and try to gr- drag a guy into the ship, mm-hmm. you know, and do all this other stuff. Um, it just strikes that it is something yeah. strange and unusual. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Cool. So what do you what do you think about the whole topic, honey? The whole topic of uh pre flight UFOs? I think it's fascinating. I mean there's also we didn't really talk about it, but there's also the you know, medieval paintings and things or you know, Egyptian uh, you know, artwork and cave paintings that have things that look like ufos or you know spacemen or whatever and what what that's all about um you know it's possible that you know they're just trying to depict something that you know we're interpreting as aliens but was perfectly normal in their time but you know there's all kinds of things i mean i wish there were more more of these and you heard these more and they were kind of 
compiled in one place because it's really fascinating. Yeah, I think I think a lot of them get mocked now because of like the popularity of the Ancient Aliens yeah. series and things. Um, you know, and, and I'm the first one to admit that uh, there are a few, if not many of those theories yeah. that are a stretch. Right. Um, but every once in a while they hit on something that is pretty you know out there and makes you really question you know why why did the aztecs you know have the carving of the guy who looks like he's sitting <laughs> in a vessel pointed at the sky and that mm-hmm. there it, there's like carvings that look like you know flames or smoke or something coming out of the bottom yep. um you know uh why why the, i talked about the uh in india and they have the story of the sky battle and it was supposed to have happened over this particular uh, city, this ancient city. And um, because the ancient city was not there anymore, many of the scholars, uh, even in, in India, uh, had believed that it was just a like a fairy tale. It was just part of the, the legends and lore of, of their uh, history, religion, culture. And, uh, but then all of a sudden... Uh, and I can't remember the town that we'll, I'm sure we'll bring it up in another episode sometime down the road. Um, and I, I'll say the name of the city and the event and all that. Um, but if you look it up on Google, you can find it. Uh, but there, it happened over this and all of a sudden archeologists found the remnants of structures and mm-hmm. buildings and roads in the place where this ancient city was supposed to have been that people thought was never developed, that was not a developed area. And here they find the city. And when they dig down, so many layers down to uncover the city, that this great, crazy uh, battle was supposed to have happened in the sky over the city with these great weapons, great... Oh my gosh, honey... I'm with, sorry. I'm so sorry. With the great flaming <laughs> weapons and all this kind of stuff, when they dig down so many layers, they get higher radiation readings than what the background radiation should be. And it's at layers where there shouldn't be massive radioactivity. And it might be a, a bit of a leap but you would have to assume that some radiological event happened there to make the radiation levels of that city, which had been buried by time, to make the radiation levels at that depth higher than the layers above it. Mm-hmm. What happened during the time period when that city was there that caused a higher radiation saturation than before or after. And it just happens to be the city where this sky battle was to have occurred. Pretty cool. Well, and then you have things makes, like... Makes you shrug. It does. Things that make you go, hmm. Oh, here we go again. Then you have things like the Nazca Lines in Peru, which are giant, you know, carvings in the earth made between 500 BC and 500 AD that can only be seen from the sky or as 
Eric von Daniken, the writer of Chariots of the Gods, says, The Nashkalines. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am Dutch. Dutch. <laughs> Isn't that weird? <laughs> so, yeah. Makes you think. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and we'll eventually get to many of these other stories and many of these other things, but I just, I just thought that it... Um, with all of the talk going on right now about UFO slash UAP and the government now, the government now pretending that they're all interested and like they were never interested before. And they thought it was, you know, and we, meanwhile, we find out that these things have been investigated for decades, you know, secretly Mm -hmm. the government for decades has been compiling information um, and then telling everybody that they're nuts and it's swamp gas and, you know, yeah. all this other junk. Um, and now to, to have this guy and whether he's credible, uh, whether the story is credible or not, um, he has credentials that make you have to at least take his statement seriously mm-hmm. and really look into it. What does he have to gain by doing any of this? Well, right. Like, you know, I mean, <laughs> um, I'm he, sure he's not making a lot of friends. Well, yeah, he he's basically like ruining his career. Yeah, by, by going against his own intelligence community to say, no, they have things they're not telling you about. Mm-hmm. Um, so to find this stuff out, whatever we end up actually finding out, whatever, whatever, uh, you know, I, I honestly think that uh the people who work on these topics and these issues and are are in the i think it's going to take more whistleblowers like this guy to come out so that we actually find out what's really going on i think um you know until you get really a mass movement within the government to kind of end the black box you know programs and the the dark money programs and all that kind of stuff um until you get a a huge movement to do that you're not going to really get you know what guys like stephen greer and even louis elizondo and you know the the this this massive disclosure Mm -hmm. um and you know i'm the first person to say like if it comes out that many of these are actually our technology um, you know, I'm not going to be the type of person that's like, you know, no, it's, it's aliens and it has to be aliens and it's always been aliens and all this kind of stuff. Um, I would question why we have, why we would have technologies that seem to be so advanced. And, and so then the rest of us, what, we just get to live like Neanderthals <laughs> while you guys play with defense spending money yeah is that what we're doing we we're just all cavemen out here and you guys get to fly around at like mach 300 <laughs> with no inertial you know effects and all this kind of stuff mm. um yeah uh, you know and then i would want to know like well how did you discover this you know mm-hmm. because i think the answer is going to be there's probably some weird stuff you know that that came from somewhere that led to the discoveries of these technologies and the the oh like Lucy <laughs> oh jeez you're like a rat with a dog face <laughs> she just almost took out our whole setup 
Poor Lucy. Anyway. <laughs> well, I personally welcome our alien overlords. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why is that? We've we've fucked up. We're no, we're no good at this running a planet thing. They can have a go. Can't do much worse. Flash forward, you're getting on the ship, and I'm I'm running up, going, no, no, it says to serve man. <laughs> it's a cookbook. It's a cookbook. And you're like, bye, bye, honey. I'm going to Mars. <laughs> oh, I am not going into space. Absolutely not. They can rule over me here. I'm not going there. Nope. Nope. So. Not getting me on a spaceship. But yeah, so to put a button on it, honey, we're going to, I think we can wrap this episode up. To put a button on it, um, what do you feel about, uh, what do you feel about people who, who discount these uh, stories and sightings and experiences that, that seem to be, uh, if these people are accurately reporting what they see or experience, these are happening well before these capabilities uh, should be achievable. You know, what do you think when people kind of discount, discount these as just uneducated uh BS and, and, you know, hoaxes. I think and... they're jerks. <laughs> Can you elaborate? <laughs> well, no, I think it's, you know, it's certainly easy to make that assumption. But, you know, like you say, they're not all just stupid people. They're not all just, you know, primitive, uneducated, you know, idiots making this stuff up. I mean, some of them might be, but... They can't all be, you know, lying or, um, you know, and they, they're just reporting what they, what they saw and they don't have an explanation for it. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, you know, most of these stories are saying anything like really hysterical or, you know, outlandish, but yeah, it's fascinating. You have to have a little imagination yeah. and give these people the benefit of the doubt. And just accept that it was his aliens. <laughs> yeah, the the only story out of out of all of them that I really feel is like super outlandish is the guy fighting off three aliens. But, <laughs> but it's great. It's the most fun story out of the bunch. I think that that's you know, I I just I I wish somebody would make a movie about that. That would be that would be know. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, anyway, so that's our that's our episode about pre-flight UFOs. I know it took a while to get to this episode, but like I said, eh, you know, life is life, and when you have houses and you know chores and kids and other things to End to of school, yeah, and you got a lot to do for that, and yeah, so it gets graduating seniors. And it things. gets a little tough to get everything done. And um, and still work on this podcast that we don't get paid for, and Yet. even though we love to do it, Yet. and we we love to do it, and it's a lot of fun, and we hope people are enjoying it. Um, yeah, it, it isn't our job, it isn't our career. Like other podcasters, there's professional podcasters out there who have been able to parlay this fun thing into uh, their career. We're not there yet. 
So we, we've got uh, other shit going on. <laughs> I mean, if you want to support us, I'm not going to turn down, you know, you can Venmo me, uh, no. <laughs> mail me a cheesecake. Let's not do that yet because uh, we have to pay taxes on things like that. <laughs> bring me a puppy. So, I'll take anything. So, but we we uh, we were excited about this episode. We're we're glad we got to record it. At least I am. I, I don't want to speak for you. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we uh, th- it's something that really interests us. You know, Jenny and I we sit on the couch and we see these reports come across the television or they come uh, across our our smartphone and um, and we get like super excited and we end up having these like discussions about how how crazy the times are that we live in and um how maybe at some point we might actually like get like total confirmation huh. of alien life and ufos and all the other stuff let's see yeah we want to believe the truth is out there <laughs> what are we gonna talk about next time uh i'm not sure what do you think Dreams. You want to get into dreams? Dreams. You want to get? Are we talking dreams in general? Are we talking pre, uh, premature? Is it premature? Premonitory. Premonitory dreams. Premonitions. All of them. Or lucid dreams. Yep. Or sleep paralysis. Oh, okay. You want to get into sleep? Actually, I could almost Day do dreams, wet dreams, all the dreams. What? What? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> per- per- perennial dreams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perennium dreams. <laughs> Perennium. Uh, what? <laughs> what is wrong with you? I don't know. I You said weird stuff first. So I'm just following your lead. You're, just, oh, you're taking it too far. <laughs> oh my gosh, Lucy. Get a grip. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I think Lucy's an alien. Yeah, Lucy is an alien. <laughs> she and an alien mated with a gremlin, and that's how we got Lucy. Poor Lucy. Um, well. Yeah, so we we should wrap it up and uh, just say um, that yeah, we'll talk about dreams next this next uh, episode, and I'll be excited if we get it. I got all kinds of stuff I want to talk about with sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. I want to get into shadow people with that and the hat man. I want to get into the hat man. So many songs I could sing with the word dreams in them. And, you know, and, and parlay that into, uh, you know, mentioning uh, my hatred for the Babadook. Uh, but, <laughs> but anyway, um, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you next time. We'll talk about dreams and shit. And it'll be fun. It'll be awesome. It'll be super fun. So if you want to reach out to us, uh, this would be a great opportunity if you want to reach out to us and tell us about weird dreams that you've had. I know I've had mm-hmm. dreams that, that have like come true. You know, it's more than a deja vu experience. I have, I've had moments where I was in a situation, a very random banal situation, and realized, oh my gosh, I dreamt this moment. I had a dream about this. Um, and that's a very weird experience to have. And so if you've had any dreams like that, premonitions, if you've had, uh, strange lucid dreams that seemed way too real, if you've had, uh, other dreams like me where I dreamt 
I was in a different life in a different place, like kind of in a different universe or reality. Um, tell us about those. Write to us at liminalunlimited at gmail.com and tell us about your dreams. Or if you've seen weird shit in the sky, we'll take that too. But tell us uh, what kind of weird, crazy stuff has happened to you. Um, or even if it's just a subject you'd like to, us to talk about on a future episode, we're open to it. So anyway, hit us up, liminalunlimited at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page, the Liminal Unlimited podcast page. Uh, Jenny kind of runs that, so you know she'd kinda. be the one. She'd be the one to uh, direct those two. Hit me up, and um, and you can follow us on Twitter. We have our Twitter at liminunlimapod, and also a little plug: my uh, best friend Brad and I have started our podcast, Nosferatu Dudes, where we talk about horror movies. Um, we've started, we were a few episodes in, we've talked about, uh, we're talking about a lot of Halloween. Uh, we've talked a little bit about, uh, Once Bitten and Fright Night. Um, our next episode that we're, is going to be coming out is all about Halloween 4. But we're going to end up talking about, like, almost every horror movie that you can imagine, all our favorites. Um, we're kids of the 80s and 90s, so there's a lot of cool horror movies to talk about. So you can check us out on that podcast as well. On that note, from me and me, we will see you on the other side. Adios. Sorry, I kicked the table.